is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. And we're here for another episode of the London is Blue podcast. And as you can see, there is no Nick, but there is me, Abdullah. I'm here, and as usual, I'm joined by Jesse. And we have a return of the Box to Box podcast host Alex Ebaseta uh, to look back at another frustrating day for Chelsea when they drew against Brighton in a nil-nil game away from home. Um, and again, you know, it's it's just one of those days and one of those games where you sit down, you look at the TV, and you go, "Why? What are you doing? What's the problem? Why are there so many issues? Are we back to square one?" So, but we're here to try and analyze that and see if we can break it down and. Um, See if we can get some answers. Um, so yeah, Jesse, how are you doing? Yeah, I mean, it was a bit. It, it was a strange day yesterday. I I didn't actually feel like the performance was that bad. And it's always weird when you walk away from a game like that. I think where you're kind of like, if we played this game again, we would probably win two or three nil. Um, so. And then it was funny to go into. Obviously, Arsenal played City last night, and I couldn't really figure out what was the best result for us as well. And I think maybe a draw was, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting to you guys about this game because I think there was lots of interesting stuff in there and I can't quite figure out what to feel about it. That is there. Alex, you're back again for your second cap. How are you feeling? I'm feeling better since Chelsea dropped points. Um, I must admit, obviously coming from an Arsenal fan, Chelsea dropping points was the best case scenario because we keep messing up our lead and obviously need external support to help us through. Um, (laughs) So it's, I'm feeling fine. I'm obviously disappointed, but there was some positives in the end, I suppose. True, true. I mean, Arsenal did draw Manchester City, but then Chelsea also did draw Brighton, so no advantages were really taken across the whole thing. But at the end of the day, I always say Brighton are the Manchester City of the South anyway, so it's basically <laughs> the same result. You've always known. Yeah, there's a slight bias just because we all Jesse is in Brighton, so you know it, it's it's right there. So I mean you've what you've watched the both Chelsea teams back to back weeks, uh both playing Drawing away at Brighton. Brighton. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's a that's a in the same a, week, within in the same four week. days of each other. <laughs> there you go. I mean, there's something about Brighton, isn't there? Now both both sides of it. You know, maybe Graham Potter was down there giving some notes from this is this is how you this is how you draw Chelsea. <laughs> um but anyway, this episode we're gonna be kind of going over the frustrating draw against Brighton. We're gonna break down the first half and the gap between the defense and the attack. We're also gonna look at the second half and kind of, you know, the more pan- panicky shift, you know, the, the later the game went. You know, goals are coming. Um, a lot of finishing issues. I think that was on that was on uh, display yesterday. Aaron Cuthbert and 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 Fran Kirby. And then we'll just look at the overall title race and kind of see where we're where we're headed with that. But before we get into it, we're gonna go hit up the the you know the, the coveted three merch three word match review. Um, and Jesse, I'm gonna start with you first, just mainly because I haven't really been able to come up with one yet. And, Je- and Alex, I'm giving you 30 seconds to come up with yours as well. So Jesse, please go ahead. Yeah, I went with uh, Crawley is Cursed because I have been to watch Chelsea play away at Brighton for the past three seasons in a row. And in that time, I've seen us draw twice, only score twice. Um, and I'm just convinced that this ground is... And I was at... Uh, this game sat next to Flo Lloyd Hughes and I said 
I don't think Chelsea are going to do very well because we always do awfully at this ground. And Flo Lloyd Hughes said, what are you talking about? Brighton have been rubbish recently. And so even though I was disappointed at the final whistle, I did get to, you know, the enjoyment of saying, I told you so, which is a very pleasing thing to be able to do. So <laughs> that was my little like benefit uh, benefit of the day. Even at the expense of Chelsea drawing the game. <laughs> Sometimes it's still <laughs> nice to be right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So Alex, what's your three word match review? I just came up with this one literally in the last 30 seconds. Um, thanks from Arsenal. <laughs> okay. I guess that's adept. I guess that works. Um, I think for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say um, missing Sam Kerr, question mark. And I'm using Sam and Kerr as two different words. So, you know, I'm just going to put that question mark out there. I know that Sam is the kind of player that will get 20, 10 chances. She'll miss eight, but she usually puts away those two or three you know, two or three chances, but, you know, missing Sam Kerr, question mark, I don't know. But yes, as it was, we played Brighton Hove Albion on Sunday, the 23rd of January in the Women's Super League at the People's Pension Stadium. The score was nil-nil. There were obviously no goal scorers. Um, let's go through the teams. Um, Jesse, do you want to you wanna talk us through the teams that were on display? Yeah, so... Um... A bit of a, a different one from Hayes, although uh, a familiar one if you had watched us play West Ham midweek. Um, we went with a four at the back. Um, Magda Eriksson is still out with a who knows level of injury that is seemingly quite bad because we've not seen her for ages. So it was Noun and Bright. Oh, AKB was in goal. Uh, Noun and Bright as the centre-backs with Jess Carter on the right and Jonna Anderson, who's enjoying a 2022 resurgence in the side she was at left back um and then we had sort of a strange midfield made up of drew spence erin cuthbert jesse fleming and guru wrighton kind of as a four but quite fluid um i'm gonna say especially out possession it was more like drew spence was a single pivot with those three then ahead of her and then a front two of harder and kirby um very, very thin bench. Um, we had uh, Musovic on the bench and Carly Telford, uh, which I initially thought was because we had no players, but it has become apparent as we will go into that it was because she's leaving. Um, and so she got to be on the bench for her last game. And Sophie Ingle, Beth England, who came on very late on, Neve Charles, who also came on for about 20 minutes, and Alsu Abdelina, who who was an unused sub. Amazing. And... Um... We've obviously got the, uh, you know, we've got the stats here. Alex, do you want to kind of run through the stats and kind of maybe part on the surface, kind of explain what you see here? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Obviously, I couldn't watch most of this match. I, I watched kind of the first 15 minutes, um, but I was playing a match during this. And first of all, the, the lineup, I kind of saw this right before I was about to go off for my own kickoff. And I just put my phone away because I was too tired to think about what Emma Hayes was doing with, with the players and the lineup <laughs> and kind of trying to figure it out. But the stats are Chelsea have finished with 26 shots, uh, five on target, and Brighton have four shots, three on target. Um, Chelsea managed 68% possession, um, 536 passes completed to Brighton's 250 so looking at the stats, I mean, 26 shots to four shots <laughs> compared to Brighton. Um, you just watch the highlights and you see all the chances. I mean, 
I don't think Erin Cuthbert could have hit that crossbar harder than she did. Um, oh my god, to say the least. But I saw someone tweet saying the crossbar. I think this was maybe Frank Kirby's Flight Club, but tweeting <laughs> that the crossbar must have been made of vibranium, and actually, like it was genuinely like. I thought the crossbar was just going to fly off with the yeah. like ball, like on onto the M twenty three, like it would have been after that. <laughs> Honestly, I, I I saw that shot and I was like, Aaron Cuthbert cannot hit that any with more intention. Like it was just absolutely. She was just like, "Can we get this game over right now, please?" And clearly, it's cursed. So <laughs> I guess yeah, I guess it is what it is. And then. Um... Yeah, we have the expected goals of Brighton's 0.1 versus Chelsea's 2.7. So obviously we can see from that that there, Chelsea had a bunch of chances and it really just came down to the non-existent finishing that we're going to talk about a little bit later. Jesse, do you want to hit us with your fact of the week? Yeah, so my fact of the week is related to um, Brighton being cursed with Chelsea. Um, Brighton have taken points of Chelsea every season for the last three um, so obviously there's the the two draws that we've had away and then they beat us at home to end our kind of unbeaten run at Kings Meadow. Uh, and Manchester City are actually the only team who could even match that this season uh, if they take points of us. So it kind of just shows you how much this has become a bogey team. And I actually asked Hope Powell after the game whether she felt like she had like got the measure of Emma Hayes and she definitely had a bit of a smirk on her face because I do think she knows that... Um, you know, how much her sides tend to frustrate Chelsea. And I think it has become a bit of a kind of point of pride uh, for her. And, you know, I've got a lot of time for Hope Powell. She's an absolute legend. Um, uh, but I do think it's interesting that she seems to be this real manager who who Hayes just can't quite get her head around. That is true. That is true. Um, so, you know what? Let's get into it. Let's start off with the first half. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, when, we, when, we, when the game came in, obviously we saw more of like a, a 4 4 2 um, Four four two formation, something a little bit different. I think that was possibly down more than likely down to the personnel that was available on the pitch and 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 in the squad overall. Um, but you know, I think it wasn't the fastest start. You know, I think, but at the same time, it was still kind of like I, I don't know. I think in, 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 for me, it seemed like there were times where it was working in the first maybe 15, 20 minutes. While it wasn't the quickest start, I think it was there were patches of the system working. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, like, I think, you know, Brighton were, you know, struggling with the press. But, um, you know, what did you guys make of the start? You know, Alex, let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think it was always going to be an interesting one, giving the personnel that was on the pitch. I mean, yeah, as I mentioned, you know, I saw that I didn't see the actual formation. I just saw kind of the players that were on and I just gave up trying to figure out what it was uh, in a short amount of time. Obviously, I, I sit down after and kind of analyze it. but. In a span of what a minute, I just I didn't have the brain power to figure out what MAs was trying to do. So, and as Jesse mentioned, you know, Brighton are for some reason just that team that just Chelsea can't really dominate over as as they would against other teams that are kind of mid table, obviously not anymore. But it's just it's really interesting um to see how it pans out. Again, I I didn't watch the entire match, so I don't have a lot to say about the fluidity of of movements, but I think the most intriguing part of it for me was Yona Anderson and how she's kind of slowly coming back more consistently, even though I think we know that it's probably not going to be as consistent as she would probably imagine. But when you look at the performances that she's had on the, on the Swedish national team, you kind of wonder what's happening at Chelsea. 
Um, so I am very intrigued. That's kind of the biggest point that I took out of this was um, Jonah Aniston's kind of slow comeback to Chelsea and how that's going to impact, obviously, the back three, back four. Um, so I'm kind of curious about that one. That's actually a very interesting Yeah, and point. it is interesting, right? Because, like, we, it's not even that she's not in the team because of, like, the back three solely, because we saw even with Hayes playing a back four at the end of last season that Neve Charles and Jess Carter were her fullbacks there. And she had, like, those players are, well, Jess Carter's obviously playing, but those players are available. You've also just signed uh, Alcio Adelina. I know she's new, but it does feel like, at least for these past two games, Hayes has chosen Jon Anson for a reason. And it's something that we'll, we'll touch on, I think, a bit later when we're talking about the substitutions and the changes she made. But I did think, uh, Jon Anson made a really big difference because of her crossing ability and I do wonder if it's something Hayes has we've talked in the past about how how are we breaking down these low blocks and you know I'm not saying you just want to put like cross after cross because oftentimes like these defenses can be quite good at uh, just like batting stuff away but I think that like slight di- difference being able to kind of have a ball like bounce around the area or even be headed out and you don't know who it's going to fall to you've then got that moment where a defense is kind of out of shape out of position um I think I can see why that would be a tactic that Hayes wanted to employ but then it was a bit strange that you don't then pair that with Beth England because there were also points when kind of balls were being pinged over the top to Frank Kirby and I'm going to tell you guys now, Frank Kirby is not like the number nine who's going to hold up the ball for you because it was like basically just going onto Victoria Williams's forehead instead of like anywhere near her. So, um, yeah, I think it will be really interesting to see to see whether we kind of stick with that. Uh, that's, that's that's a really good point. And I think, um, you know, this, the, 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 the Anderson resurgent, I think, is, is, is important also because... Um, but, you know, and, and this is kind of maybe a, a left, not a left field question, but do we think that is this a sign that that Chelsea are going to start moving away from the three four three and maybe moving into a four four two again, like they did last season? Maybe because and playing John Anderson at left back is kind of in preparation for once the full squad is there. That maybe it's time to go back to the four four two. Just a question out there, Jesse. What do you think? I don't know. I can't figure it out. I mean, obviously in Wolfsburg, we kind of had a back four as well, which does make me think like it's it's not just this. Asia Cup injuries, COVID thing we've got going mm. on. I do wonder if that is the direction. Hayes wants to move in but then at the same time I feel a bit confused because because Magda's out Nauman's now getting a great run of games in the team so I'm like well actually I would I would be up for the back three because you would hope that Nauman could play as that central defender and you remove the the Jess Carter issue there and you know for what it's worth, I think Jess Carter does just look so much more com- comfortable at right back. She can give the ball away, and she did, and it's not the end of the world because there are other players to like move over and, and track back, and that's fine because like I think you know she can be like a decent player in that position. So I don't know. I, I can't figure it out. It it's confusing me. Yes, it's confusing. I think what Hayes wants to do is I think she wants to be able to. Um, and it is funny because obviously we're having the exact same thing on the Chelsea men's team at the moment. Like, I don't know if like Thomas Tuchel and Emma Hayes are just like constantly sat in these tactical chats, but you know, we're seeing it on the men's side, we kind of saw the women do it in the FA Cup final, but have this kind of rotating four into a three. I don't know if that's what she's just trying to work on a bit more. I don't know. It's a thought. And I guess the next couple of games will own West Ham on Wednesday, I think will be a bit more of a definitive answer and kind of you know whether this is a deliberate move or, or something that she's she's trying to do or is it just a one-off thing but i think another another big 
player that's, I mean, it's like a big surprise move uh, player that started was Drew Spence in the single pivot in, in, in this full full two playing a little bit deeper than Jesse Fleming. But um, I think, you know, Drew Spence was obviously super isolated. I think she made decisions too slow. I also felt like she was just too slow to kind of get across the pitch yesterday. I think, um, you know, some of the, you know, I remember the game against Reading where, where they scored where they scored the um, uh, the counterattack. And, you know, it was, you, you think about it and you go, well, that was Drew Spence not being able to track back and, 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 and get to the player. And I think there were, there were signs of that here again, where the, whenever a player got past Drew Spence, it was, it was just, there was no way she was getting back to catch up to them. Um, and obviously that affected, I think, Fleming's performances, especially in the first half, because it meant that Fleming had to drop deep a lot more and not really got to influence the final third. And I think that's where I think a lot of people... Um, I saw a couple of tweets where people were like, you know, like Fleming's not able to get too far forward because she has to support uh, Spence because she's the one who got the pace. Um, you know, what did, what did you guys think? And Alex, what did you make of kind of Drew Spence's performance overall and, and kind of how how she's maybe going forward? Is she going to be, you know, how does she get used going forward? Mm, I think that number six kind of pivot role is going to depend heavily on the formation that Hayes uses from now on. Um, obviously, Sophie Ingold has been cemented in that quite often, even Melanie Leupold's have been kind of that deeper lying midfielder um, for Chelsea. And I think it's going to be interesting to see the personnel and the change. You know, we keep talking about the formation, but I think it's going to be big for Emma Hayes to figure out again once again mid-season how she's how Chelsea are going to be able to kind of pull off the rest of the season and I don't mean that in a bad way it's just a lot has weirdly I think a lot has changed in the WSL like team for team um it's quite strange to kind of try to explain but you see you know Brighton have a really terrible start to the season get a no-no draw with with um, Chelsea Chelsea Arsenal haven't really been on the best of their performances to say the least and then you have Man City kind of coming back from the dead somehow for some reason that surely isn't related to Gareth Taylor. But I think for Chelsea, this formation is going to be really, really important for Emma Hayes to get right. And the personnel is going to be right. So whether it's Sophie Ingle, Leifold's Carter, uh, Drew Spence, sorry, that's going to be in that pivot position. Obviously when you get a full squad, the importance that that pivot position has in kind of, the back of a diamond four for Chelsea, like they have been playing, is really important to ball distribution. And if Chelsea don't get that right, that's going to be a really easy position to kind of get the ball. And when you look at Arsenal, for example, um, you know, a high pressing situation, that's going to be a target to, to go on. So Drew Spence isn't the right player, I would say, just from the experience that I've had from watching her. Um, I don't think she's, as you mentioned, Abdul, I don't think she's quick enough to make those important decisions and and the ball carrying and the ball uh, distribution from that pivot role. So do I think she's the right person for it? No. Um, I would have to analyze her performance against Brighton again. But when I look at the scoreline, I mean, it's it's not doing her any favors at the moment um, from that position. But yeah. I just thought it was a bit like, I think it was just because of, of injuries like ultimately I just think that they felt that Sophie Ingle couldn't play um both games and obviously Loipots is out with long COVID so we don't really know what's going to happen with that I didn't hate uh Jesse dropping back like it was obviously Hayes 
telling her to. Um, but I thought it kind of worked because there was just such massive gaps between defence and attack and Brighton were just so happy to sit off and let us have that, let that kind of back five players of the back four plus Spence have the ball. Um, so yeah, I didn't really mind it at all. I definitely thought we improved and we had so many other attacking players on the pitch. Like I've not got, it's not like we were actually taking Jesse Fleming out of like the front line to do that. Um, so, and I think she definitely has, I think what she offers that a player like Spence can't can't quite do is you you can't predict what she's going to do, not just because, you know, she's a very intelligent player, but I think also because she has the kind of passing capacity and the ability to move move with the ball. And I actually think, um, you know, it really stood out to me. That was actually one aspect of Anik Noun's game, which I thought we could have done with a lot more, you know, when Chelsea normally play that back four or like have in kind of our title winning seasons, Magda Eriksson has been like so key in like bringing the ball out from that left-sided position and um, really like gluing defence and attack that way by becoming a midfielder, basically. And you saw when now did come out with the ball that we looked a lot better. Like the passes she had to make were smaller. We got into more dangerous areas, but it just felt like she was lacking that confidence in in being willing to kind of carry that ball forward. Oh, that's uh, that's an interesting point. And yeah, I, I, I can't argue with that. Um, before we head into the second half, we're going to be taking a quick quick break. We're going to an ad break, obviously. Um, just a couple of reminders. We're obviously covering the team every single week, and uh, you know you can enjoy both the coverage on the women's team and obviously on the men's team when, when the other guys come on, and obviously the multitude of different shows that is that is on this platform. Um, listen, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. You know, give a shout out to to us on the women's team over here. It'd be great. We're always reading your reviews, and if even on Spotify as well. And uh, you know, join us on Patreon. We've got a great community, especially on the on the women's side, and um, you know we. A lot of interaction, a lot of discussion. So if you're if you're keen and want it, we can go. You you can go there, and we'll be back. Okay, second half. Obviously, it was a different sort of game in the second half. Um, panic mode set in. All alarm bells are ringing. Emma Hayes is worried now, uh, or so it seems. Um, but, you know, I think the game overall had a had an open feel to it. You know, I think I think obviously at this point now the team is like okay. We need to figure something out. We need to get into it. We need to move forward. Um, you know, uh, Jesse, at what point did you kind of begin yeah. to think that the People's Pension Stadium of Crawley was cursed? <laughs> the People's Pension Republic Stadium of Crawley. Um, <laughs> I mean, I thought it was cursed before the game started. So, as I said, so... Um, I don't know, because, again, this is my thing, and we're going to come on and talk about the finishing, but... I didn't think we were playing badly. I thought, especially in the second half, um, we were much more fluid in attack. We were seeing a lot more of, you know, Wrighton, Harder, Kirby interchanging, um, working really good spaces in the penalty area. So I think it was about 70 minutes that I thought, oh, this really like could end nil-nil. That was probably the moment when I started to think, oh, it's just starting to get that fear of it. But even then we were still creating a lot. It wasn't like, the Reading game where it felt like every chance was was a half chance. I mean, I know like it, you know, in the first half we didn't we didn't talk about it uh, before the ad break, but you know, Kirby has that one on one with Megan Walsh, and I don't think I've ever seen Frank Kirby miss a one on one. Um, so that was kind of like my moment where I was like, oh, that's the kind of thing where you're like, it's not your day if that if that's happening. Um, but I just think that kind of shows 
how easy it is to put like a large amount of weight on these performances. And I know it's frustrating when there's been a lot of them recently, but this just felt so different in spirit to the Reading game, even to the Juve game. Um, and I just think it was like, yeah, one of those days, but I just don't understand why we're, it's always one of those days. Um, it's very, very confusing. And that's why we must come to the conclusion that the sta- it's not the club. The stadium is cursed. That crossbar is cursed. Yeah. <laughs> that crossbar is cursed. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> we'll get to that crossbar, but it's just like, even the name of the, even the name of the, even the name of the, uh, the stadium, the, the people's pension stadium, it's like a, you know, there's like a revolution going to happen. You know, it's a, it's a Republican. I need to go there <laughs> with like, um, like some plants and some like holy water and yes. sprinkle it. Like I need to go at night to like lift the curse. Yeah, and then you can you can you can go as part of the resistance crew, and you can just go there at night, <laughs> exactly. sneak in. You can take Alex with you. I'll be there in spirit with Zoom, and we can we can figure, we can figure this out. Uh, um, you know, uh, I obviously I think Emma Hayes, you know, post match said that the Brighton, you know, Brighton played this game like it was a cup final, and you know she wished that they played Arsenal and City like that. You know, what what are your thoughts on that, Alex? I'll start with you. I think it's funny, obviously, because she's just <laughs> mad about drawing a match against Brighton. Um, I think, yeah, I just, I mean, what Jesse mentioned earlier about Hope Powell just bluntly knowing that she is the one that causes Emma Hayes the biggest headache. Um, it's cheeky and you love it, um, <laughs> obviously from an outside perspective, but it's, you know, I think, and it it's, it just, it is what it is in football. You know, there's always that one team that you just can't, you can't do anything about for some reason, whether it be the player's Every, any little detail in this case people's pension stadium is is a factor here but you know there's there's always one reason that a team can't get past another team and it just happens and, and it happens to be brighton and it's confusing because you can't really put your finger on it i mean yeah it's not like chelsea played terribly you know they had clear chances crossbars um x amount of shots you know it just wasn't play it nine times out of ten they're gonna win most of the time um, and it just it wasn't happening yesterday, and and I'm surprised that Emma Hayes didn't blame COVID. I wasn't sure whether to say that on this podcast or not, um, but it's just it's a tricky one, and I don't think it's Brighton down to not playing the way against they do against Arsenal and City. I think it's just the matchup that that happens to work better for Brighton against. Um, a team like Chelsea, because I think Arsenal and City and Chelsea have three completely different st- style plays, um, and we won't say which one's the better one, but it's they're they're three completely different managers, different style of plays, different style players, and for Brighton, the best matchup for them is against Chelsea, and it's it's as simple as that, and there's not much of more explanation that you can say about that. You know, Holt Powell, she gets it right against Emma Hayes and Emma Hayes still hasn't found the solution to it. Like she has to other teams. Um, you know, she's played Arsenal once in the league. Arsenal won that one in the FA Cup final. She figured it out, completely destroyed Arsenal, whether it was down to Arsenal playing bad, but she figured it out quite quickly. And Emma Hayes still hasn't been able to figure out how Powell's Brighton. So from an outsider perspective, it is quite entertaining. Um, but I don't think it's it's down to Brighton playing differently against Chelsea. Than anyone else, I think it's just down to the actual matchup um, that clearly doesn't benefit Chelsea in any manner. I do wonder if there's a bit of a 
a confidence thing though for Brighton and it was interesting Hope Powell said after the game that she kind of reminded them of what happened last week when they came out against City and then like promptly shipped like five goals in 10 minutes which is what I was hoping was going to happen at the start of the second half and didn't but I also think you must feel like if you're Brighton even though you occasionally get spanked by these other teams to know that it was you who ended Chelsea's winning run that you do take points of them regularly and also for the Chelsea players to know that Brighton have kind of become your bogey team I feel like it might not be about what's on the pitch but that does you know Hayes would obviously never admit that it gets into her, her or her players heads but I think we all know that that kind of stuff can have an impact on the game and especially I think in terms of of Brighton's resilience of of having that experience of being like we've held out against this team against these players before whereas I think the other sides in the WSL lots of the time who Chelsea have beaten a lot it's almost like the back of their heads is going oh you remember what happened last time you played them do you know what I mean and I think that then starts to have like a bit more of a psychological effect on the on the whole game no, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's. I mean, we've seen that time and time again with different teams, right? When you when you've got that bogey team, so to speak, suddenly you um suddenly you 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 have that at the back of your head going, oh, you know, we we've drawn to them a few times, we've lost them a couple of times, and then that just kind of gets into your head, and and the longer it goes without scoring, you know, it it suddenly becomes more and more real, and I think I think you lose it. So I think that is a factor. Um, obviously Chelsea have only scored 12 goals in seven games against Brighton um, in the WSL which I guess is both a testament to Brighton's defending and uh, also Chelsea's lack of uh, finishing but I think more more of a pressing matter I think is the fact of Hayes' kind of substitutions or rather lack thereof um, obviously there's no Ji So Yun, there's no Sam Kerr Malini Leupold is also missing um, and they're big losses no doubt but when you've got Beth England and Neve Charles on the bench, it's kind of left for, and 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 they're left to come on. You know, after 75, 80 minutes, you start to wonder why couldn't they? You know, why couldn't they come on? Someone tweeted, oh no, when I raised this point on Twitter yesterday, someone tweeted at me saying that well, maybe they're saving their legs for the West Ham game. But I was like, I'm sure that the subs can come on and play for 30 minutes and 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 still be able to start. You know, a game three, four days later. So. You know, I didn't. I didn't understand that because I, I felt like maybe even a change of formation, a change of system, could have possibly affected and even changed the way Brighton would have approached the game because they'd been expecting, or rather, they'd be they'd been playing against the Chelsea team playing a four four two. If they had moved to a four three three, for example, maybe bringing on, uh, you know, Neve Charles earlier and kind of moving players around or Beth England, then, and and giving something different for the defenders to think about, then it changes the whole situation and um, obviously. Neve Charles looked pretty lively when when she came on, but um, yeah, yeah, Jesse, what do you think about the whole substitution? Yeah, I thought it was weird. Um, not so, you know. I think when Neve Charles came on, that was fine. And there is an element of that I felt like Chelsea were playing well and creating chances, and sometimes a manager doesn't want to change that. But you know, I think when Sam went away to the Asia Cup, it was always going to be make or break for Beth, and I think we can say it's break. Because to not start either of these games this week, uh, to not, you know, come on only for the like last 10 minutes, um, she almost had her heroic moment if she heads that. I know everyone said Megan, it was a great save from Megan Walsh, but like Beth England literally did just head it at her. She didn't move. Like, I'm happy for Megan Walsh because she seems like a nice girl, but I wasn't like, this is amazing because all she did was like 
okay, this is a podcast that you can't see, but stood like a starfish, basically. Um, and, you know, Chelsea fans were kind of singing her name from about 75 minutes. And, yeah, I, I thought it was strange because kind of like what you just said, Abdullah, like I think Beth England is such a different player from anyone else in Chelsea's kind of attacking lineup that she would have given you something different to think about. She is very good in the air. Um, I mean, I think Hard is very good in the air as well, but, you know, I just think she's got, a, you know, a really strong presence in the penalty area. Um, so I thought that was a bit of a, a strange one uh, from from Hayes to to leave out. Yeah. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree with, with Jesse. I think yesterday was kind of the game that you would want Bethany England to come in and perform in. I mean, you know, when you compare her to the other strikers that, that Chelsea have, she's a very different player to say Sam Kerr, Frank Kirby, Peniel Harder, Jessica Fleming, whoever is in the front three. She's an out and out, you know, poachers striker that will get her body on the line to score a goal. Um, and when you're nil-nil against Brighton, against, yes, a very good keeper, but yes, you know, her header was, I agree with Jesse with the fact that her header was just a very, very poorly placed header. It wasn't necessarily um, prompting for an amazing reaction save, for example, but when you have a player like Bethany England on your team, you know, you know her strengths and Emma Hayes knows what Bethany England can do. It's, you know, she's not a new player. She's not someone that, oh, you know, Emma Hayes just doesn't know how to use her yet. You know, Bethany England is a well-established player at Chelsea and everybody knows what she can do. And she will find you that goal in a, t- in a, g- a match like this, for example. And if you don't give her enough time, um, you know, playing her for the last two minutes of the game, not only does it not help Chelsea, but it, I don't think it helps Beth's confidence either. You know, when, when you have a game like this and you're only put... Um, knowing well, I mean, I'm pretty sure Bethany England knows exactly how good of a player she is and what she is good at. Um, when you know that your strengths could be used in this match and your manager doesn't really use that to, to the team's advantage. Um, it is interesting. And of course, we have the three of us have spoken about this, about where Bethany England could potentially go. And that's just a whole another tricky conversation. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Um, Bethany England was... It was a bit shocking to see her play um, for so short yesterday, considering the the personnel lack, the lack of personnel that Chelsea have at the moment also. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, especially with the fact that um, Sam Kerr is not here, you know, as Beth England, you think, okay, maybe now I have a shot at actually getting more than either a 15, 10, 10, 15 minute cameo or I'm subbed off after like, you know, 50, 55 minutes, I think. You know, if I'm her, I'd be expecting her to start a lot more games and just kind of, again, bring something different to all the teams and and and, and do all that. And I think especially in that second half, I think the team allowed themselves to get drawn into a little bit of a panic. Um, I think there could have been a little bit more ball control. And I think this is where either a Sophie Ingle or a Melanie Leupels comes in. And they, I, you know, I think both of them really bring a calmness to that midfield because they're so good at controlling the ball and and, and really playing it out. That um, I think I think that was missing in midfield today, which I don't think Drew Spence did, and and I think obviously Fleming is better further forward than she is in a in a number eight position. Um, but kind of speaking of Beth England and kind of uh, and and all the forwards and 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 the infamous post, uh, I think we can go into the finishing here, which I think that was a hugely noticeable factor in in the game, and I think it's probably the biggest point that we we need to kind of talk about. You know, Chelsea have now kind of accumulated an XG of five without scoring in the WSL. Although noticeable is that their their post shot XG is two point two. Is 
I mean, those are some unbelievable figures. Um, I mean, a couple of noticeable moments yesterday was Fran missed that one-on-one in the first half, which I think nine and a half times out of ten, Fran puts that away. And she just shared to the keeper. Megan Wall saved it. You know, we go from there. Beth England missed that header. Um, Penilla had seven shots, but only two on target. What's going on, guys? <laughs> Tell me. what What's happening here? Yeah, I mean, if we hadn't scored four goals against West Ham in midweek, I would be like, it's a confidence thing. But we scored four goals against West Ham midweek, and West Ham are a good side. Um, anyone who listens to me do other writing or podcasty bits will know that I'm a big West Ham fan. So it's not an easy thing to do to 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 put all those goals past them. So I do think shooting accuracy is something that really stands out as a problem to me. You know, the difference between that, that expected goals total and that post-shot expected goals total. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, the post-shot model looks at where the ball ends up um, and then calculates how likely you are to score from there rather than from where you took the shot from. So, for example, if your shots are going way over the bar, you're going to get zero. Um, so I think that kind of summarises... You know, Beth's header is a great example of something that it seems like it's like quite a high expected goals because of where she is. But given where she puts it, it's relatively easy for the keeper to save. Um, yeah, the only thing that that I've kind of been thinking about is is also whether we're just seeing the impact of a bit of a Fran Kirby regression. Um, she hasn't scored in her last five Chelsea games. She scored 16 off 7.2 XG last season. So I think everyone knew we weren't going to see quite the same level of goal scoring. Um, it was always going to have been an exceptional season for her. And to be fair, she's already got like, what, like I think six this season. So she's not having a bad season by any means. But I do wonder if we're also just seeing that like a bit of that impact as well. It's sometimes hard, I think, for teams to adjust maybe as the players you rely on change a bit. And, and maybe that's just having a bit of a kind of mental impact. No, no, I agree. And Alex, if you if you had to pick the team for, for Wednesday, what's your attacking, what would you build that attacking lineup? Who would you play considering whoever's available now and kind of based on what we've just been talking about? Uh, it's a hard one because obviously, you know, we mentioned Beth England and everything that's going on with there. So I think potentially I would have to give Beth England a chance. Um, you know, it's something new. Obviously, a 4 0 win was a good one. Now, this now maybe change it up a bit. I mean, Emma Hayes has changed it up quite a lot already. So, why not just change one more position? Um, you can you can then have Beth England as an out and out striker. And we mentioned Yona Anderson. If Yona Anderson is going to keep playing, that's not a bad combination to have um, in that goal scoring position and with the long balls. And obviously, Millie Bright. Um, I was actually looking at an old article that I wrote in 2019 about the top five goals um, in women's football. And my number one was a Bethany England goal. I was shocked when I saw it because I didn't remember it, but it was that long Millie Bright pass and Bethany England's first touch was just exquisite in the box. It literally just fell in front of her and she finished with the opposite leg. Uh, first touch with the right foot, then finished with the left foot. Um, it wasn't like a wow, 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 wow goal. It was just the technique was flawless um and I look at that now and I was yeah I was shocked because we haven't really seen Beth England at all 
Um, so I would like to see her given the opportunity to kind of prove herself quite again, um, especially in this position where there is, you know, a lack of personnel and, you know, Chelsea still have a top, top squad, but I am curious to see if um, Emma Hayes could potentially kind of shift her in. Um, and obviously with, you know, you saw Prino Harder, Frank Kirby next to her and Frank Kirby and her have been playing next to each other for quite a while. So I'm pretty sure they can make it work somehow. Um, and then, yeah, just keep Jesse Fleming in the midfield, which I think is her better position. She has played quite well on the wing for Chelsea, but when you look at the way she's been playing leading up to Chelsea and, and kind of on the Canadian national team, her best position is kind of in the centre midfield. Um, but yeah, those were kind of be my my biggest takeaways in terms of um, formations and and lineups. I remember very quickly the, the the pandemic season against Manchester City. I think it was the three three Bethinger's long range uh, shot, which which got the draw. The three three. I think that was another standout goal for Bethinger. But anyway, that's a side note. Jesse, what would you go? How would you construct this forward line? I mean, I would be inclined to keep it as it is because I do feel like it's a rhythm thing a little bit. Um, and I just wonder if, but again, because of what happened against West Ham like last week, I just I don't really, I don't really know. But I would be inclined to stick with stuff for a bit because I just wonder if like the chopping and changing isn't a great vibe like for the team. Um, but I would like to see more of Beth England. You know, we've got five subs in the women's game. It that's that's more my concern is. You know, I think we're at points when Chelsea have been struggling against teams this season. Emma Hayes has looked a little bit out of ideas when it comes to how she makes in-game changes. And it's interesting because it's not something I really associate with her. I feel like in past seasons, it's not something that I've thought of as as a problem. And, you know, indeed in the past, Alex kind of touched on it, we've, we've often talked about how how she can figure out um, teams, especially in those kind of two-legged fixtures. But I don't know whether it's just, you know, at the moment the squad feels thin, to be honest, even though there's a lot of quality. There, there isn't, we're really talking about the two changes that did just get made, like whether you play Beth England or whether you play Neve Charles. And for example, like I thought Neve Charles was pretty rubbish against West Ham. So to me, it made sense that you didn't play Neve Charles in this in this game too so it's tricky you know I just I wonder if as well a bit of a question mark I guess is if Hayes knows that Lauren James doesn't play for this much of the season do we try and bring in another attacker or something like that because again that's just something that I kind of wonder I feel like Chelsea would surely have expected her to be having some kind of impact at, at this point and she was you know the big summer signing yeah, no, that's true. And that's probably my next my next kind of so many question was, do you think, you know, we need to bring somebody in this window? I mean, there's about six, seven days left before the window closes uh, for the end of the month. And, you know, I think it's it's an interesting thing. But then, you know, there also has to be that balance between the player that you bring in that cannot block Lauren James's pathway for next season. So maybe do you look to find somebody on loan from the US, for example, you bring them in for six months, kind of let them play and then go back. And that, that's an option there. So I think there are a couple of options available. It's just whether Chelsea go for it. And I think it just makes sense. And, uh, you know, and it's not... And considering the way the team is dropping points and other teams are dropping points, you, 
kind of like the more you have, at least, even if it's on loan for the next six months, the better it is. Because even when G and Sam come back, they'll be tired from the Asian Cup, depending on when they come back. That They'll need time to rest on the jet lag. So, you know, just having those extra bodies in the... Um, in the building, I think will just bode well for the rest of the season. And, you know, whenever you need to rotate, I think it'll, uh, it, it should work well. So, I mean, kind of moving on to, 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 you know, the last thing is, I mean, the second last thing is probably standout performance when it comes to do with this game. So, Alex, who is your standout performer of, of the game for you in this in this nil-nil draw? I'm going to copy both the years and go for Daniel <laughs> Harder. <laughs> oh, giving it away. <laughs> Jesse, what's who's yours? <laughs> yeah, I I went with Penila. Um, I thought there were points when she was rushing too much. She had more time to take her shots. Definitely in the second half, there was like a number of kind of rather strange efforts that flew over the bar. But I could see what she was trying to do, and she definitely felt like a lot busier, say, than Fran, for example, who I actually felt aside from her one-on-one didn't really have that much impact on the game, whereas I felt like Hardy, you kind of... It it always felt like she was dangerous when she got on the ball, whether she was interchanging with Wright and Jesse Fleming. So, yeah, I, I would probably say her, but that's shooting accuracy. Come on, gal. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd have to be inclined to agree. I think for me, it's also Penelope Hardy. I think she did a lot of... Uh, a lot of work creatively i think she did she did make a lot of chances and like you said jesse about the about her uh, about her her taking shots as well she did create you know did she did take seven shots those two were on targets which means that you know she was getting into shooting positions i felt like she did make a lot of chances i think overall was there and i think you know kind of just touching on your point on fran very very quickly it almost felt like fran was playing the sam kerr role but it's it just didn't work where she was the one kind of hanging around at the edge of the shoulder and kind of trying to make those runs in behind but you know it's you know, Fran's role is very much starting off on the right and kind of using the distraction of a of a Panilla Harder and 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 Sam Kerr to then be able to kind of ghost in at the back post and kind of make those those runs inside. So yeah, I think that the Sam Curry role didn't really um uh work out. I think it could have worked more for her if I mean, I think it was very obvious in the first half, at least, that Chelsea's main tactic did seem to be putting balls over the top towards Fran to run onto. And I don't hate that as an idea. It's just that most of the time Millie Bright put them so far, they went out of play. So yeah. it was a good tactic, just poorly executed, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> That's no, not really Fran's fault. <laughs> she can't, yeah, no, no. she can't, if she could uh, ping the balls over the top to herself, I'm sure she would. And I'm sure they'd be very <laughs> accurate. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's no, that's true. Yeah, but um, you know, I, I, it could. I mean, if the if that one on one goes in, it's a totally different game. We're talking about Fran Kirby and the rest of them in a totally different, maybe probably a totally different perspective. Um, but listen, title race time. There was another big game on last night: City versus Arsenal. Controversy galore, but it ended up being a one-one draw. Um, obviously, two points behind United now, with two games in hand, and four points behind Arsenal with one game in hand. How are we rating Chelsea's chances percentage-wise to be able to take the title at the end of the day, Alex? It's hard even, you know, stepping out, um, obviously, with our alliances and stepping apart <laughs> from everything. It's it's really hard because Chelsea, both Chelsea and Arsenal just keep messing up their own leads. Um, obviously, Arsenal haven't been great and Chelsea have had a really good opportunity to get ahead and get come closer and closer because obviously the... They play each other off in February, so it's going to be a really big match. But now Chelsea just messed it up 
um, once again. So it's it's hard to call just because I think the title race hasn't had any consistency in the entire season yet. Um, obviously, Man City are still somehow trying to find their way back into the top three, top four. But dropping points last night, I mean, I don't know if any guys saw that the video of the Man City players um, after Arsenal scored. That reaction was absolutely brilliant. Um, you can have so many memes out of that, but... <laughs> I think City are out of the title race entirely now. Their main focus is just to try to get a Champions League spot, um, which obviously they're going to get knocked out in the group stage anyway. So, um, <laughs> But I think that's their main focus. And I think the title race is strictly down to City and Arsenal. Um, I mean, Arsenal and Chelsea, sorry. Um, but I think it's a matter of who finds the most consistency the quickest. Um, so I think that Arsenal do have this point in hand because obviously there is a bit of a gap there now between Arsenal and, and Chelsea, which could be important come the end of the season. But do I think that Chelsea and Arsenal are going to win 100% all of the games from now until the end of the season? No. So it's it's really it's a really hard call at the moment. Um, and until either of them find a, a consistent winning streak, I don't think it's going to be able to, to be called until, until the last day. Chelsea? Yeah, I mean, when I think about it from a Chelsea perspective, I'm really enjoying it, um, the title race, because, you know, I think United look very good at the moment. I actually kind of disagree with Alex. I think City maybe do still have a shout as well, just because of how bad I think Chelsea and Arsenal have been. Um, kind of like what Alex said, like it feels very hard to bank on either of these teams to put together a, a really spectacular run. And so I don't know. I think I would put Chelsea's chances still at 40%. And then I'd give Arsenal also 40%. And then I would give Manchester United 15%. And I'm going to give City 5%. I love so that breakdown. I think, <laughs> I think, you know, it's still, like, open for us. Look, if we beat Arsenal and we win our game in hand, we're top of the league. So... That Arsenal game is going to be very crucial. I think I'm going to have to have so many beers before it. It's okay, guys. <laughs> it's a Friday evening game. Not and it's thankfully not the Saturday 11:30 a.m. kickoff because I would have to be rolled home. Um, but oh my gosh. Okay, London is blue, listeners. You won't know this, but. Alex has a girlfriend called Alice, and every time Alice comes to watch <laughs> Chelsea with us, we're rubbish. It's the Alice curse, so I'm bringing her along. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to change my prediction. Chelsea now have a 20% chance of winning the league. Um, yeah, I think lots of it will come down to that match. I think, but I think I think the most exciting thing is about this is it, it does feel like it could go all the way to the wire. And it's nice because in the past, when Chelsea would drop points in a game like this, I would just literally want to lie down on the floor and cry. But because everyone else is quite rubbish too, I feel more just generally optimistic because, you know, in the Premier League, if your team just draws one game, you're not like, wow, we can't win the title. If your team draws six games like Chelsea men's have done, then you can't win the title. But I'm enjoying the fact that we can like maybe just relax a bit more and see the season as a whole from a women's perspective. 
I was actually going to make a joke saying that watch um, Man City just win the rest of the games and stormed on the title and suddenly everyone's like, what the hell happened there? Where did this come from? But, you know, it's stranger things have happened. Uh, the only annoying thing about the Chelsea-Arsenal game we're on a Friday, it kicks off at midnight my time. So I'm probably going to stay up pretty late on a Friday. So that's... Uh, it's going to suck. It's the only thing that sucks about being so far away. So I have to quit four hours ahead. But anyway. Um, I, don't know. I think you gave away on. your age there just a little bit complaining about staying up until midnight on a Friday night. <laughs> yes, we've had this conversation before, Alex. <laughs> I know. I probably did there. I probably did. Um, but you know what? This is not about my age. This is about Chelsea and the fixture list. Um but you know what? It's nothing more fitting than ending this podcast with one very big goodbye. And you know what, Jesse? Because I know how much you enjoy the the presence of of this certain player in the squad. I'm a, I'm gonna let you do the honors and and kind of give this player the send off they deserve. Yeah. So at the end of yesterday's game, it was noticeable that uh, Carly Telford was was crying, and I thought. Wow, that's a bit excessive for a nil-nil draw with Brighton. I know we dropped points, but this is maybe uh, not what's going on. And we asked Emma Hayes. Passion. and Emma, uh, Yeah, the passion. Emma Hayes was like, <laughs> it's a very emotional day for Carly. And I was like, oh, yeah, because of the draw? And Emma Hayes was like, she's very emotional. I was like, okay. And then today we found out, as, as maybe could have been predicted, that she is leaving the club. Uh, she's going to join Casey Stoney on the beach in San Diego, which, to be honest... I would do too if Casey Stoney phoned me and asked if I wanted to leave England and go to the beach. Um, <laughs> yeah, Carly Telford, just absolute legend. Two spells at the club, um, over 70 appearances. Um, and I think just someone who really feels like she's always bought into the ethos of Chelsea. She's always been amazing with the fans. Even yesterday, um, you know, the fans had got us some presents to say goodbye they'd obviously knew and you know she was like going over and, and um, having some time with them and I saw even in the press release clubs um put out that she's gonna like make sure she's at the game on Wednesday the West Ham game to say goodbye to the fans there and um I hope someone's told you know Sam Kerr and Sam Kerr's not too upset because I know she's one of her her good friends and I feel like nights out for the Chelsea team will, will probably not be quite be the same without Carly there that's true and uh, we bid Carly farewell and uh, maybe a few more, tad few more games in San Diego uh, next season than she had at uh, Chelsea very recently. So to kind of end it off, we obviously, let's just look ahead at what, you know, who Chelsea have to face. Obviously, we've said that Chelsea have to play West Ham on Wednesday the 26th. And it's followed by two cup games between Aston Villa uh, away on 29th and then the WSL Cup semi-final against Manchester United on the 2nd of February. I think that'll be a, a really tasty game. Um, obviously, United have suddenly stepped up and, you know, they look a lot more of a different prospect under Mark Skinner now. And then um, the big game four days later against Manchester City, followed by another big game uh, against Arsenal. So I think February really is... Um, it's going to be a very, very, very big month in terms of the title race and where it goes and where it doesn't go. So... Um, if you know whoever wins these games against each other in these in these big matches, I think will decide will decide the will decide the league. And then obviously there's a break after that uh, for about a month, and we return again away to West Ham. It's like what the third time in like a matter of I know it's a long time, but it's like within the fixture list itself, playing West Ham three times in in short succession. It's kind of like 
playing Brighton on the men's side in short succession. But anyway, and then again, you're playing Aston Villa at home. Again, another side that have recent, would have recently been played. Um, and then kind of the standings right now, Arsenal obviously in first place with 26 points and with 11 games. United in second with 24, but they've played uh, one game more with 12. Chelsea in third with 22 points, but have a couple of games in hand. Um Spurs are one point behind in fourth, but again have played two games more, as as has Man City in fifth place with 20 points. Um, and then it rounds off with Reading uh, in sixth, West Ham in seventh with 19 and 17 points, uh, Brighton eighth with 16, uh, Villa with a big winner you know, against Leicester, so they, they moved up to ninth with 13, Everton on 11, um, Leicester on sixth, and Birmingham on four. And I think you know that, that Leicester-Birmingham relegation battle is going to be a very, very interesting one. But, you know... It is what it is, and that's it. I think we're at the end of the at the end of the episode. Um, as always, it's a pleasure, Alex. Thank you for joining us once again on the London's Blue Podcast. No, well, thank you again for having me. Always a pleasure with you too. Of course, and Jesse, always always good to have you as the trusted uh, co-host. And Abdullah, uh, before we go, don't you need to do a little bit of promo about your big day? Ah, uh, you know, yeah. Well, you know, just just in case people didn't know. Uh, I released my second book and it's fittingly on the Chelsea women's side and the whole evolution of Emma Hayes over the years. So that is out today. Uh, if you're keen and you want to read a little bit more about Emma Hayes' tactics and kind of what she's done in the last couple of years, especially the Champions League season last season, then uh, go ahead, pick it up and uh, enjoy yourself uh, a bit of a quick read. No, but I, I appreciate it. I'll give a shout out to these two right here who really helped me a lot and, uh, you know, gave their support. So, Jesse, Alex, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm putting it out there on the airways for everybody to hear. I do want to add that it's a really satisfying book to have in your hand. <laughs> Jesse, I don't know if yes, you touched your copy yet. Yes, I agree. It's a really right? nice, like, um, the the weight of the paper with the weight of the cover in combination so feels really nice. And then yes, the texture of the cover is just mm-hmm. it's one of those books that you just want to read because you want to have it in your hand um it sounds nice weird to it. out of context yeah it does um so i'll add that <laughs> there's there's a glowing endorsement for one reason why you need to buy this book guys so yes. go ahead listen if, if you do get it and you like it let me know tag me on twitter we all we're all here um but you know as it is chelsea fans keep the blue flag flying high and we'll see you soon